welcome to The Heart of Grief. This is Brian McGee, and this is a podcast addressing the difficult issues of loss and grief. We're grateful for the ongoing sponsorship provided by Martin Brothers Funeral Chapels in Lethbridge, Alberta. This episode is the fourth in our Remix mini-season of programs. Today we revisit two of the most common myths regarding how to deal with difficult loss. The messages, be strong and just give it time, are heard by most everyone who experiences grief. Although they are common, for the most part they are not helpful ideas. We're going to explain why and suggest a different approach that we believe to be more in tune with our human experience. The idea that it is important and valuable to be strong in times of significant loss is very common in our society. We're going to examine that idea and once again take on the role of mythbusters. So it's so common and usually comes to us wrapped up neatly in a little package with phrases such as be strong, be a man, man up, cowboy up, or for the ladies, it's put on your big girl panties. And they're often heard either from well-meaning people or in our own thoughts. Maybe there are others our listeners have heard too. And Brian, I know all too well about this from my upbringing. As the oldest child in my family, it seemed to fall on me to look after my younger siblings. Not all the time, of course, but there was a responsibility that came with being the oldest. When my dad got sick when I was 12, and then my grampy died out at our farm, the message I received during this time was, be strong for your brother and sister. This is one example, but it was the one I learned very well. As I got older and things happened, I was the one others relied on because I was the strong one. It wasn't until a few years ago after the death of my kid's dad where I became aware that being strong wasn't working for me like it had for many years. How about you, Brian? Well, the way I learned it was through the message to be quiet. As the youngest child in a pretty traditional type of family, my role was often to stay in the background quietly, allowing the adults and older children to take the lead at times of family bereavement or difficulty. I seemed to learn this without a lot of direct instruction. I came to understand that my role was to remain in the background and remain quiet. I suppose it was our version of children are meant to be seen and not heard. What I learned in childhood, I pretty much kept as my primary adult grieving tool as well. I learned how to do silent. I'm not at all sure it was being strong, but it may have appeared that way to others. I'm very much aware that at times it was not strength. I still have difficulty admitting to others when I'm struggling emotionally. There's still an urge to be silent and not appear weak. But I now recognize it, and I'm doing better. In the message, Be Strong for Others, the emphasis is to not let others down by appearing incapable of helping them through a hard time. That was the primary message I received, being the oldest child, and carried with me into adulthood. I mentioned earlier when I became aware that being strong wasn't working for me was after the death of my kid's dad. Hearing he had died, I went full on into mum mode. Now my adult children were coming home and I needed to take care of them, make sure everything was looked after. The tissues strategically placed throughout the house, all their comfort foods, and the right words to help them in their grief. I was the strong one. 
I'd been told that my whole life, and now this was my time to shine. These were my babies, and their hearts were broken. So be strong is really saying something like be superhuman because it asks us to somehow leapfrog over some of our very human emotions. Exactly. What being strong should not entail is a denial of our natural human feelings. And I sure knew how to do that. I had practiced my whole life. Back at the end of May, Lori, I heard a program, a CNN town hall program, that featured an interview with actress Taraji Henson. Taraji has launched the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation in honor of her father. The foundation aims to bring awareness to the problem of unaddressed mental health issues in the African-American community. She wants to end the stigma that teaches, get up, smile, go on, be strong. She replied to that message in a way that caught my attention. Don't tell me to be strong, she said. Being strong dehumanizes me. It takes my trauma and makes it small. I'm human. I have a right to fear, to be scared. I'm not a superhero. She went on to say, people misconstrue the meaning of strength. Strength is not raw bravado. You are so much stronger in your vulnerability. People need to understand it's okay to feel. You're human. It's okay. Be strong is in our top six most unhelpful ideas list for a good reason. It suggests that we be, or pretend to be, something that we're not. It obliges us to deny a very real part of who we are and what we are. So we've now arrived at the place where we offer our something to think about for this episode. What we're calling for here goes very much against the typical thinking of our society. But when grievers are given the freedom to be honest, there is a release that takes place, resulting not in weakness, but in a new strength, a new awareness of inner resilience, alongside the fears, an awareness of resources for truly recovering from loss, and moving ahead well. Now I suppose it's my turn to suggest our something to do. Yes, please. We want folks to take steps of understanding and then simple actions that flow from that understanding. Today, we're asking our listeners to, first of all, tell themselves that it's okay to be human. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to feel sad, afraid, exhausted. It's okay to need someone else to hear and understand. It's not weak. It's human. And secondly, we say to our listeners, take the step of telling the truth to someone you trust when you're not doing okay. Sounds easy, but we know it can be hard to do. We're pulling for you and would love to hear from you. So, if be strong falls short of real help for a hurting heart, how about the encouragement to just give it time? Or hang in there, time heals everything. Well, here's our take on that idea. Today, we've got something special for our listeners, don't we, Brian? Yes. Recently, I was in to see my neighborhood mechanic, and we had a little chat that relates to today's topic. Sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Okay, let's listen. Okay, so I am here with Ken Fast, uh, owner-operator 
uh, fast tire service. He's at uh, 740 23rd Street North here in Lethbridge, Alberta. So thanks for uh, taking a few moments out of your very busy day, Ken, just to uh, talk with me a little bit about tires. No problem. My, my question is to do with tires when they go flat. And um, so when they go flat, how much time on average does it usually take before they reinflate themselves? Well, they don't. They don't reinflate themselves. Well, let's say 95% of them don't. There are the 5% that do, but they also have a system that helps them do that. Oh, okay. So they don't just reinflate and you carry on. Right. So what has to happen then? So you have to find the leak, inflate it, find the leak, and then do the repair to keep the air in the tire. Okay. So there's stuff you have to do. Right. Right. Uh, it can take up to 20 minutes to 25 minutes. Once you get started. Yeah. Okay, so what you're saying is it's there is time involved, but it's time used to actually do the work. Right. Well, that's good to know. Now, you mentioned that there are some that do somehow reinflate. How does that work? Some of the military uh, vehicles, they have an air compressor system on board, and it runs a line through each axle, and on a rotisserie that hooks up to the wheel and it actually inflates the tire as you're driving it. Okay, so that means you don't really have to wait at all. No, you don't. But it's not just the time, it's the mechanical air pressure system that's part of the vehicle that's actually doing the work. Correct. So either way, it's not just waiting for time to fix it, it's what's happening mechanically or your labor during that time. Right. That's right. Well, thanks, Ken, so much for taking time out of you. I know you're very busy today, and you've got to get after some tires here, some new ones. Yeah. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. So you really aren't that uneducated about tires, are you? Well, no. Actually, as a teenager, I worked at a few garages and repaired or replaced a lot of tires. I know they don't just reinflate on their own. But Lori, we disclosed in our episode zero that we'd likely include some humor in our program. The interview with Ken, although real, was intended to provide some levity. Absolutely. It is our promise to you that we take the pain each and every one of you is feeling very seriously. However, we try not to take ourselves too serious. We've noticed with people who've gone through our programs that even in the midst of very sad circumstances, there can be some welcome relief and healthy perspective gained through a little bit of humor. So as you mentioned earlier, this is number four of our top six most unhelpful ideas list, but quite possibly the one most heard by grievers. Just give it time or time heals all wounds. Right, and it's our task in this Grief Myths mini-series to uh, debunk that idea. But how come, Lori? It seems that you and I are going against the cultural flow with this. It sure does seem like that, because we are. I want to go back to your interview with Ken and your flat tire conversation. What we learned is that time alone will not result in a reinflated tire. And of course, our listeners know this as well. Knowing how to fix a tire and having the time to apply those repair skills are effective in fixing the problem. Mm-hmm. So we need to apply the time plus correct actions idea 
to the experience of grief. But that's not what the common saying suggests, Lori. Why do we hear so much that time heals? With time, the brain fog that also happens in the initial hours and days following a significant loss begin to lift. Our list of questions may start to get answered. The to-do list starts to get checked off. The rush of people and visitors slows and decisions that must be made is lightened. We begin to think through the implications of our loss and consider what adjustments we will make. There are also things that readjust without us really knowing even how it happened. Of course, this doesn't happen equally for everyone. Some people experience lingering pain and disruption to their lives. The things I've mentioned are not the work of time alone. We are doing things. Okay, so why don't you and I just settle on making that clarification to explain the fuller meaning of the phrase that time heals? Why do we dispute the idea itself altogether? We dispute the helpfulness of time healing because it encourages grievers to settle for the things that tend to happen rather normally and naturally. And there are some vital things that are not included in those naturally occurring effects. Waiting for these to happen will result in the prolonged pain that comes from what we call unresolved grief. I like this reflection from Rose Kennedy Fitzgerald, mother of U.S. President John F. Kennedy. She says, It has been said, time heals all wounds. I do not agree. The wounds remain. In time, the mind protecting its sanity covers them with scar tissue and the pain lessens but it's never gone. What we contend is that there are ways of attending to the pain of those scars. I'd like to suggest the following statement for our something to think about for this episode. The passage of time does not provide us with any healing for the things that happen where memories and feelings collide. It's those things that are so hard to figure out what to do with. We know through our work that those things usually fit into two categories. First, they are the things we wish would have been different, better or more in a relationship. And in the second group are those unfulfilled hopes and dreams and expectations that we now carry. So if time isn't a healer for these things, what is? I came across what I think is a good explanation of this from licensed clinical social worker David Fireman in answer to a question on the website griefcounselor.org. He writes, time is not a healer. The passage of time may take the edge off of acute pain, but it does not heal pain. On the other hand, time can be used well for healing purposes. When time is used well in terms of healing wounds, then it is because we do something specific with and within it. We take time and shape it in order to do inner work. It is inner work coupled with courage and honesty that heals. As David rightly points out, it's inner work, or what you and I call heart work, that is key to identifying and bringing healing to the painful scars of loss. This is the work that you and I and all certified specialists using the grief recovery method guide people through in our programs. And now, Lori, I'm going to leave you to offer our something to do. What I want to offer is a three-part call to action. Number one, give yourself permission to stop looking for time to heal the lingering pains of loss. Two, acknowledge that the pain you are carrying has not been greatly helped by time. 
It may have been tucked away or hidden under some sort of emotional scar, but when you think about it, you sure know it's there. And number three, reach out to us or the Grief Recovery Institute. We would be delighted to explain to you how you can access our programs. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. As mentioned, we love to receive comments and questions from our listeners. We invite emails to feedback at theheartofgrief.com. If you'd like to send us paper mail, it can go to The Heart of Grief, care of 610 4th Street South, Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, T1J4P3. And of course, you can subscribe through your podcast service provider.